Did you see the mischief piece? The ATM? Did you get to see yeah, it? Yeah, I did it. In? I took some cash out. <laughs> you took some, did you put your name on the leaderboard? Yeah, I won. I won Basel. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought Diplo, he tweeted that he won. He flaunted his that was millions. Fake news. That was fake news. I have billions and billions and billions. All right, guys, welcome back to your favorite podcast. This is Art Smack, episode five. I'm your host, Matt Capasso, and I'm here with... Jerry Gagosian. Jerry, what's going on? How you doing? I'm doing great. It's nice to be back on planet Earth after um, officially doing another space trip to planet Miami Beach, Art Basel. Basel Cella, as we're, as we're coining <laughs> it this year. Oh, my God. On this episode... We'll play the game of the week. We'll explore the listicles culture and talk about all these art world power rankings that have come out this week. We'll ask a big question about when is it the right time to leave the art industry? And then we'll discuss the artwork of Basel, the ATM machine by Mischief. So stay tuned and welcome back to Art Smack. And now for the game of the week. So guys, Jerry thinks she knows it all. And mm. what I'm trying to do with the game of the week is keep her sharp and on her toes. Jerry has no idea the questions or the topics we're going to get into. And we're going to see how she fares. How she fails. How she fails. <laughs> so over the last week, we've obviously been down in Miami. And the cats are staying with my parents. And we've talked about the whole trip, about how much we missed them. And we can't wait to see them again. They are our, more than our muses. They are spiritual guides in life. There are, they really are. And slash children. Slash children. So that is sort of the genre of this game. We're going to talk about which pets do our favorite artists care for and that are near and dear to their hearts. Hmm. Okay. So I'm going to read a list of some artists. Okay. And this has been all documented. These are verifiably true. I'm going to list you the artists and you're going to have to guess which pets they own. Okay, okay. So what do you say? Got the rules? Yeah, I got it. Henri Matisse. Um, uh, a cat. Correct. Okay. He also had doves, which okay. makes a lot Obviously. of sense. Yes, birds. Obviously. Vasily Kandinsky. A koshka. What's a koshka? A cat. What makes you th say that? Um, Because he's Russian and Russians love cats. <laughs> All right, let's get, you are correct. Let's get a little more, more fun. Salvatore Dali. Oh. Okay. I feel like he had a melange of animals. I, I feel like it would be impossible for him to have had just one pet. He seems like the type to have had many. Um, There's no way you're going to get this. <laughs> a pet lobster. Ocelots. I would have never guessed <laughs> ocelots, okay? I don't even know how to spell that. Pablo Picasso. He used to draw them all the time. And bonus points if you can guess the breed. Um, <laughs> I told you, I'm keeping Jerry on her toes this week. Uh, sorry, what the boop? Um, I don't know, a dog? Dog. Oh, okay. He had a dachshund that he used to draw all the time. The Aww. wiener dog, very cute. Oh, that's so cute. Ai Weiwei. He has 30 of these. Oh, okay. He has 30 of these. Hmm. Uh, 
What could you have 30 of? 30 birds, maybe. 30, 30, hams, 30 mice, 30 pet rats, 30. Hold on. No, no, no. That's not my final answer. Da, na, na, na. Stop, stop, stop. Na, na. Fuck, I don't know. 30 cats. It's 30 cats. It's 30 cats, which is your dream, as we all know, which I will not allow to become a reality. I have two more for you. Okay. Contemporary artist, friend of ours, Chloe Wise. She has two Siamese cats. That is correct. Shout out, Chloe. And then the last one I'm going to give you, Mr. Jackson Pollock. Wouldn't think that he could keep anything alive because I <laughs> know that he's an infamously heavy drinker. Um, he and I two. know from experience, it's very hard to keep anything alive when you're a heavy drinker, besides perhaps maybe a plant or two, but perhaps maybe a, a dog to lick you in the face. Two dogs. Correct. Dogs. So I think this warms my heart. I hope it warms your heart too. What? That, that these artists had these creatures that they took care for. Yeah. And loved and treasured. Of course. And that is this week's Game of the Week. So now it's time for the Art Fail of the Week. So I just want to give a really big, loving congratulations to all my people who are selected for these end-of-the-year top power player lists, things like Forbes 30 Under 30 or the Art Review 100. Because to be selected for these lists it really is an exalted position in society that shows how powerful, smart, successful, and talented you truly are and how the rest of us who maybe like me have turned 30 this year, how we've failed, right? We've really just failed at life. And these lists, as you guys, you guys know, they are the end-all be-all and the arbiters of truth and power, in, particularly in the art world. So, Jerry, I, I have to inform you this year that you... Uh, didn't make art reviews 100 list you didn't make forbes 30 under 30. Oh. um so look i'm well past that being able to be on that list let so, me tell you yeah so i i just want to firstly say I, i'm sorry oh that okay. you have no power um oh. and you know again people like i said these lists are definitive this just mm -hmm. truly matters so I looked at some of the lists here, like Art Review. So they come out with a, their online publication based in London, and they come out every year with a Power 100 list of art world people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who's, they do... Who's number one? I'll get into that. So they do, oh. you know, they take a, they take a cross section of the art world. So they get a really good mix of artists, uh -huh. what they're calling dealers, like the gallerists, okay. collectors, and my favorite topic or my favorite segment, uh, thinkers. So they have a category of thinkers. Oh, so the powerful thinkers in our industry, right? So just to go back in 2021, uh, the winner, the most powerful thing in the art world person was uh, NFTs. So a non-human entities. Oh, that was the number one? That was number one in 2021. So this year, the number one most powerful thing in the art world was an artist collective based in Jakarta called Ruen Grupa. So I just want to give a shout out to Ruen Grupa. Congratulations on being the most powerful people in the art world. Mm -hmm. I wanted to just give my condolences to my, my friends, my colleagues, 
that, according to our review, no longer have any power. So they were all on the list. They're not in, at all on the list anymore. They're not at all on the list in 2022. They're not even like 40. They're not even 40. They're off the top 100 list. So I, I just want to give a shout out to mega gallery director and curator extraordinaire Antoine Sargent. I'm really sorry you have no more power in the art world. You might be 101 and you don't know. Uh, one of our favorite artists, JR, is, you know, He's lost all of his power. All power. So he's gone. You're gone now. Brian Donnelly, a.k.a. Cause, literally your favorite artist. Yeah. He no longer has any power. Oh, he has no power at all. Yes. Mark Zuckerberg, sorry, buddy. I know it's been a tough year so far, but I didn't mean to pile on, but you now have no power. Yo, he has no power. No power. And then, of oh. course, this one, it really stung him. I'm sure this is really... Wait, can I guess? He's had a tough life. Yeah. Go ahead. Who lost their power? Elon Musk? No. Who's oh. it? Does he collect art? That's something we should look into. Elon's people. I'll tweet at him. Okay. Do yeah. you collect art? Francois Pinot. Oh. So I'm so sorry. Francois yeah. Pinot, it's, you know, he's had a rough go at it. And just the fact that he doesn't have his power anymore, you know, I didn't mean yeah. to pile on. It's been a rough year for his I company. Know. So Well, I heard Paris Plus wasn't that good. But. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, on the bright side, Art Review was able to coronate a few people with newfound power. Oh, these are folks that weren't on the list in 2021 that are now on the list in 2022. Yeah. So congratulations to Barbara Gladstone. Oh, yeah. You finally have power. Yay. Way to go, Barbara. I know. She, finally. You know, she's worked very hard. She has worked very hard for her power. Yeah, yeah. She's only been doing it for decades. Uh, Barbara Kruger, congratulations Yay. on also, finally finally getting your, your credit. To the Barbaras. <laughs> to the Barbaras. Uh, Nan Golden, of course. Yeah. You know, Nan. Uh, just little old Nan. She just Try meteoric rise in the last six months. She hasn't been doing it for decades. No. And I just want to give a really special congratulations again to the four leaders of the four big galleries. They all retain their powers year over year. So I'm sure that they feel really great about it. Oh, they're still always on. They're still yeah. always on okay. it. Yeah. So they, they never it. go anywhere. So I just want to do a quick notable omissions from this year's list oh. of people who, you know, again, I'm just giving condolences to my friends. Amy Capalazzo, I'm sorry. Maybe next year. Amy. Art, we love you, but Art Review doesn't think you have any power. Um, literally anyone from Christie's or Sotheby's. Oh, yeah. Powerless. Two of the biggest auction houses in the art world. You have no power. I'm sorry. Jerry Saltz, of course. He has no power. Left off the list, no power. Oh. Beth DeWoody and the Rubels, you know, oh. mega collectors and tastemakers. No, they have no power. No power. My guys, David Geffen, Ken Griffith. Steve, Michael Ovitt. Steve Wynn, Steve Cohen. Sorry, maybe next time, guys. And Jerry Gagosian. Oh, they I'm just sorry. don't like the Jerry's. Okay. <clears throat> wow. Okay, good job, art review. I wonder what that committee looks like. How do they? How just do... people in a dungeon, just, I don't know, checking their email to see which PR agent reached out and pitched their clients. Wait, I want to know who are the most powerful PR agencies in the art world. <laughs> I thought that. Where's that list? No, I thought that's what the game we were going to play was who are the most powerful PR agencies in the art world? Yeah, I wonder if you look at their client list, you start to see a crossover. Crossover. Anyway, I guess <laughs> I, that goes for uh, next week's game of the week. <laughs> guess the artist PR agency. And before we wrap up on the art fail of the week, I just wanted to give my art world people that got on the Forbes 30 under 30. 
which is probably the most famous listicle of these, you know, this bullshit. Um, <laughs> so congrats to all the art world people on Forbes 30 Under 30. Your PR agents were able to conduct very great pay for play operations to get them on the list. So I just want to thank you guys for your hard work. <laughs> Um, you've joined now the storied halls of past 30 under 30 members, including pioneers of finance and the JP Morgan of crypto, Sam Bankman Freed, the female Steve Jobs, Elizabeth Holmes, one of the leading healthcare advocates for healthcare reform, Martin Screlly, um, and poop entrepreneurs turned international fugitives with 47 indictments, Jessica Richman and Zachary Apti. So you joined those storied halls. Congratulations, guys. And to anyone listening who didn't make it, if you're still under 40, you can make Forbes 40 yeah. on the 40 list. Or, you know, so when, you, still when you turn the right age of 50, you can be on the Forbes 50 over 50. So there, I still have three more years to make that 40. I think we need to turn over to a little more of a serious note. I wanted to pose a question to you, Jerry, in the capacity of you as an artist, mm-hmm. which is... At which point should you leave the art world? You know, given the limited nature of the art world and the challenges that you and I both have seen artists and people who work in the art world go through, I wanted to ask, at which point Mm -hmm. should someone take a pause, turn around, and apply their skills elsewhere? Hmm. And, you know, I bring this up because there is some economic uncertainty coming our way. And I found myself thinking, are other people, artists, workers, wrangling with this question? Right. Um, It's a good question. The question that not only have I asked myself with some regularity, I asked myself monthly, weekly, (laughs) sometimes daily. I'm like, huh, is this is this the straw that broke the camel's back? Is today the day? You're right. The art world is very limited. You know how there's so many kids that play basketball, and every kid that wants to play basketball when they're little, if you ask them, like, what do you want to do? They're like, I want to be in the NBA one day, you know? And you don't want to break it to that kid that, like, the likelihood of them ever playing basketball and the the NBA is very low, let alone like the likelihood that they will pick up a basketball past the age of 30 is Uh pretty low. You know, like just the statistics of that are pretty low. And Mm -hmm. to take that even further, I remember being in art school and I, it was more in San Francisco at San Francisco Art Institute. It was my first day of SFAI, this is probably the only time that anyone was ever trying to forcefully communicate a bit of information or an idea to us. Everything else was like, think with this what you will, you know, like take this idea and run with it. But on day one, uh, this teacher, Keith Bodwe, I don't know if he'll remember saying this. He said, basically, can you do anything else? He started asking kids in this class. And I don't know if he was having a bad day personally and he was really frustrated or if this was really the speech that he gave every incoming class. But he was like, can you do anything else? And the kid was kind of like, huh? And he was like, no, 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 I'm serious. He's like, can you think of anything else 
that you can think of living with yourself and doing every other day besides art? And this kid was like, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. He's like some, you know, dumb 18 to 23 year old like we all were. You know, I think I was 23 at the time. And this guy, Keith Bodwe, the teacher at the time, was like, because if you can, I suggest you get up right now and you run down to the registrar's office before they close your file and charge you for today's class and you get a refund right <laughs> now. Wow. He's like, because it, it, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not going to be worth it being an artist. He basically said, like, it's the traditional quintessential law school speech. You know, the law school speech, like, ladies and gentlemen, look to your left. Now look to your right. There will only be one of you standing next, you know, standing here on graduation day. And the statistics of that are way crazier in the art world. I mean, in, in art. In my class alone, I'm really only aware of three of us that are working as artists how now. many How many students were in that class? Okay. So I graduated in 2012. Mm-hmm. And to my knowledge, working professionally in the art world as artists, to my knowledge, I could be wrong, there were, I think there were 220 of us in undergrad. There are only three of us that are working professionally. What in your imagination happened to the remaining students? Do you um, think they went off to work as wives of rich men uh you're really laugh- really a great job you're and a great, laughing but it's true it's a great career path for those looking for something to do yeah i, I would agree mm-hmm. uh no a lot of them did because a lot of them were very the children of very wealthy um people i didn't know that at the time i thought we were all brethren in arms of the same class i Just didn't some know beatniks. I didn't know. Art school. I swear to God, I didn't know. I thought we were all. I thought we were all like poor. I thought we were all getting student aid at, down at the student aid office. <laughs> I didn't know it was not the same for all of us. And some of them, not all of us, were that. Some of them, because it was San Francisco, were smart and like quickly sort of figured out how to absorb themselves into tech. Oh, um, like on the creative side mm-hmm, of some tech companies, creative designers, side, product. Go into that. Uh-huh. Yeah, they got into tech quickly. Smart ones. I don't know how they did it because I didn't know how to make a CV when I got out of school. Now, remember, folks listening at home, the voice you hear on your radio is not necessarily the most intelligent one that graduated from San Francisco Art Institute <laughs> in 2012. No, uh, so that and that there were, you know, people who went on to become teachers and activists Mm -hmm. and there were people who went on to do an array of all different kinds of jobs you know well outside of the art world not things that you would even think of you know and do you think that that experience you had at sfai is more or less mirrored across the dozens or hundreds of art schools that kids go to and enroll in every year obviously i can think of places like yale where there's such a high attention on the students that do go there mm-hmm. that 
the majority of them, I would say not three out of 200, but most of those students get a gallery show. It's the same thing. Like I went to, I did my MBA. Like it's kids who at the Harvard MBA are usually working at these big companies. They just flow yeah. in there or they start their own thing. Like there's a pedigree and nature to it. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's like a fall off rate. Right. Right. I don't think that, I don't think that everybody has, this is going to come across as bitchy. It's okay. It's okay. It's fine. That's what we're here to do. I don't think everybody has the tenacity that's required. It's like being in the Olympics, right? Mm -hmm. Versus being somebody who knows how to do a cartwheel. Or I, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep using sports references. I really enjoy. I'm really enjoying these see, sports guys, references. It's gonna become a sports. Podcast. I'm rubbing off on you. Yeah, it's really awesome for you. Like if you can figure out how to do like even a backflip or something, <laughs> but that doesn't mean you're going to the Olympics because you know how to do a backflip. Right. Just because you figure out how to take an analog photograph or you figure figure out how to use oil paint, that doesn't mean that mm. you're going to figure out how to become a professional artist, to be able to get yourself into the mind game of being a professional artist means that you are willing to make crazy sacrifices on all levels at all times while perfecting your craft, whatever that might be, and accepting the fact that you might just be poor, that people might not want you, that you might fall out of time, that literally the thing that you have to offer the world and that you love the most is not the thing that people want. And either you are going to be completely willing to change the thing that you have to offer the world so much so that the world wants the thing that you have, or you are going to stand by the thing that you love forever into eternity and not change that thing ever until the world is willing to meet you, which may not be in your lifetime. Yeah. It's a very fucked up, very difficult mind game that you play with yourself and you're like, should I leave? Should I stay? Should I even pursue this professionally or should I be a janitor and store my art in a closet somewhere and pray that one day, you know, Three civilizations from now, somebody opens this janitor's closet and is like, oh, you know what? I understand this. I get this. This person was a genius. Mm. You don't know. And you you gamble with this. And let me tell you, when I, when I came out of school and I didn't even know what my medium was yet, truly, I mean, I didn't fully figure it out until I'm not even going to tell you when, <laughs> but <laughs> pretty recently, <laughs> what my medium was. like. It was, it was so terrifying when I was like, I'm in so much debt. I, I live in a generation of you know, that comes it was born out of like you know 2001, basically terrorism, school shootings, uh, financial crisis. Yeah, the financial crisis. These are these endless are war. Traumatic. It has, it has been endless war. These are traumatic since things. 2001. Yeah, I hate when people are like, oh, millennials, they, they're they so lazy. I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> when has it been ever easy for a millennial to just walk into like a full-time paying job with health insurance and benefits unless you had an MBA? It's never been easy, especially if you have a fucking degree in conceptual art, which dumbass Hildy over here, Jerry, 
<laughs> went and got, you know, but I, I made this very naive, dumb decision that I got lucky. I really have to say I got mm. very lucky that somehow in life it's paying off. But I, I work very hard. I'm extremely tenacious. Matt can attest to this. You know, I this does not come without a sacrifice. I work seven days a week, right, Matt? True. I do not have children. She has two cats. I have two cats. They are my children, but I do not have human children. I don't have a big, crazy, flashy social life because I have to stay incredibly focused on art. She usually goes to bed around 8.30, 9 p.m., <laughs> truly. <laughs> you know, so when when people think like, oh, I want to be an artist, like I'm going to live this, you know, it's... Bohemian it's, existence. It, 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 it's hard it, work. It, it's so much work and it's so much focus. I see that. And after graduating and continuing your career as an artist, did you ever feel pressure... Because I think you're unconventional, right? You are you are not a figurative oil painter in the tradition of expressionism or abstract paintings, like doing something very different. You said it yourself. Did you ever feel this pressure to follow in the footsteps of someone, an artist that came before you, like their career, their milestones? And is that something that artists feel today? I think it's nice as an artist when you think that you're going to have somebody with similar benchmarks that you can compare yourself to. Right. But that's also a mind trap because you're then you're like, wait, you mean at age 32, I was supposed to have this thing? Yeah. And then at this time, I was supposed to go on to this thing, and then I was supposed to look like this and have that. And then at this stage, I was supposed to have this much money and have this award and be in this kind of a permanent collection and these kinds of people were supposed to like me and people were supposed to be saying these things and thinking this way about the types of like what a fucking limited right what a, what a limited way for the thing that you have to give to be experienced by others like that is so boring i think that's a it's related to like in finance like banking. Like I started my career at an investment bank. The career path was so fixed. You start off as an analyst. After three years, you're promoted to associate. Between three and five years, you're promoted to vice president. And then three to five years after that, the good ones become managing directors. And you could really just keep this benchmark in your mind. And you know exactly, like the available information was online, how much the people ahead of you were getting paid, right? You knew what was to come. Or in big law, for example, you, know, you become that associate attorney and you rise up the ranks or in tech now, like software engineers, they literally call software engineers like software engineer one, software engineer two, software engineer three, senior software engineer four. Like they have these trajectories that you can peg yourself to in the art world. Artists are all so unique and to benchmark yourself against another artist because they had this solo show at this age and they were acquired by this institution at that age, it's a fool's errand. You're going to drive yourself absolutely crazy. But I can imagine that that's a, because of these other industries I just mentioned, like societally, it's natural to think that way, to peg yourself against your, quote, competitors. But right. And I get it. It's a game. It is a game. gamified in a lot of ways. And people love to play games, myself included. But at 
the end of the day, I always kind of, the thing that I loved about art school, I thought, or the thing that fascinated me about art school, and I'll preface this, is that I was born a very type A personality. I'd say so. (laughs) And that sort of type A personality has always encroached into every single part of my life. You know, I've always been very principled, very stubborn, very idealistic, very um, aesthetic. I decided at the age of three that I already knew what was good, what I believed. You know, I didn't want my mom dressing me. I was, you know, my parents were always like, she's she's very um, particular, <laughs> you know. They didn't want to call me difficult and stubborn, but obstinate, whatever. Being type A, some people wear that as a badge of honor, like that's a good thing. Like alpha, I'm an alpha. I'm an alpha, I'm type A. It's actually also, uh, I can be a handicap sometimes because it's, it's a search for perfectionism that does not exist so long as you live in a human body. Mm-hmm. And, perf- you know, the perfectionism can draw the search for perfectionism will can literally drive you insane. Yeah. And so I always wanted to get 100s on my tests when I was a kid. I always wanted to please my parents. I I wanted things to look perfectly. I wanted to look perfect, perfectly. And when the world wasn't perfect and couldn't be perfect, I pointed that at myself. And when I went to art school, one of the really amazing, beautiful things that I thought that art school did was it hacked the type A-ness out of me. It broke temporarily. It's back. (laughs) Spoiler alert. It it broke this thing inside of me. No, it broke this thing inside of me that was this desire for every single thing to be perfect and idealistic and it allowed me to like love the wabi-sabiness of organic life and the to look for you know the quirkiness of reality and to love the unexpected magic of chance and to search for those things in art and beauty and that is more realistic of what life is. And I learned those things in art school. And it's so weird when you come out and people expect to then re-adhere professionalism back on top of an art career. Isn't being an artist to be free? Uh Isn't that what being a fucking artist is? Didn't we just go and learn to set our minds free and be set on a path of rediscovery and then you want to go step into a realm where all of a sudden you're a prisoner again that is so limiting to me and so jerry to bring it back to the question that we asked at the top at which point do you leave what would your advice be to someone who's contemplating these thoughts i think that quitting the art world is probably a lot like quitting drinking Something that I also have done in my life. So, I i mean, I can put, I, well, I haven't quit art yet, but <laughs> <laughs> I haven't quit art, but I've quit drinking. 
it's interesting because when you get sober, you can never get, you can, like, no amount of being brought to rehab by friends and family and job and we're going to take away your money and we're going to, we're going to, you know, ban you from this and ban you from that will ever make a person get sober. It doesn't work that way. A person will only get sober when they're ready to get sober. And it's usually never has to do with those material or it's usually something very immaterial that causes a person to make a big change in their life. Yeah. And I think when you when you want to make a big change, like, should I walk away from something like the art world, which is very, you know, toxic. And that doesn't mean you're walking away from your art. That just means maybe you don't want to pursue art professionally. Hmm. That's that's the only question you're really asking you. And the art world is a toxic habit. It's a mind loop that a lot of people get stuck on where that they think it's the only place that they're validated. Yeah. I mean, aren't there, and you, you would know better than most, like are there other industries and job types where someone's creative practice is valued? Of course. And you, it's not deemed fine art, but you are being creative. You are having that kind of impact. You can do any job, any job. And if you do it with your love and you do it with your joy and you do it with your gifts, that's you being an artist. And that's not some, what is it like participation star? Like, oh, but you're really not actually being an artist award thing that I'm giving out here. That is the truth. That is true. Um, you know, I, I remember this one time I was at a Subway sandwich and there was this teenager making my sandwich and he was taking forever. Mm-hmm. But I swear to God, he made me the most beautiful sculpture of a sandwich. It looked like a photograph and it tasted so extra good because it was genuinely, I think, made with so much love. The sandwich was worth like thirty five dollars. Like <laughs> it, it was not worth the six ninety nine that I paid. Or you didn't whatever. get a five dollar foot long. I'm sure that's what it was, and I'm pretty sure I gave him like a five dollar. I paid double for it because it was just so awesome. But anyway, if you you know, it whatever it is, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a police officer, we need police officers who are artists. Let me tell you. Those are the jobs where we need artists to go. You know, we need um, politicians who are artists. We need, you know, all, you know, all those jobs where you think those people are assholes or I don't like those people or they're not doing a very good job. That's where we need artists to go. You know, we need more business people to be artists. We need more lobbyists (laughs) who are artists. Art lobby. We need more artists in the tobacco industry. I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right, so before we wrap up this week's episode, well, I'm sure some of you guys were hoping that Jerry and I would talk about our experiences at our Basel, Miami. But I have to tell you, you're going to have to hold off on that Mm. because the Jerry Report is coming this week. Do you subscribe to the Jerry Report? Jerry will go into all the nitty gritty about what her and I and mainly what she saw, experienced, predict, analyzed, and all the juicy stuff that you want to know about Art Balls of Miami. So 
We won't spoil that here. Maybe we'll touch on the report on next week's episode. But we'd be remiss if we didn't mention what many are calling the artwork of Art Basel, Miami Beach. Not the not the 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 old masters that were hung. No, nobody gives a shit. <laughs> we're gonna talk about the piece, the extraordinary, groundbreaking, earth shattering ATM machine created by mischief. Mm. Yes. So this thing's making the rounds. It's one of those artworks that it's not just for being reported on on Artnet, Art News, and Art Media. CNN. CNN. Forbes. Forbes. The reliable narrator known as Forbes. The great media of hype beast and high snobiety. It's making the rounds. <laughs> so I'll give a quick recap on who are these guys, what the project was. So Mischief, which is stylized as the letters M-S-C-H-F, is a Brooklyn-based art collective. They most recently had an exhibition at Periton Gallery and are represented by the guys over there. Yeah. I went and saw it a couple weeks ago. They are probably most famously known for a project they did with Lil Nas X, the rapper. Uh, Do you guys remember Satan Shoes? They were a pair of no. Nikes filled with blood that Nike sold that sold out immediately. Real blood? Yes. Whose blood? I don't know, actually. That's a good question. But I do know Wait, that- Wait, that's not like the big question that everybody <laughs> wanted to know whose fucking blood was, was it? I, like? I'm assuming it was Lil Nas X's blood, maybe. What? I Okay, I don't know. All I know is these guys, that was a big deal. Okay. Caused a lot of stir and controversy. The religious right was freaking out. Also, wait, sorry. No, no, no. We can't just move on from this. Hold on. Also, like, isn't that a, like, a biohazard? Is that a biohazard? Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm in a heart. Okay, keep going. You're right. It, it, so the guys in Mischief, they're back in action at this Art Basel Miami Beach. They put in the convention center an ATM machine, a functional ATM machine, by, by the way. So you could actually take cash out there with it. Mm. that lets people put their checking or savings account balances on display. So guests would come up, they'd put in their their debit card. It would take a, I guess it would ask them for permission whether they want to participate in it. I think that's important to note. And it would take a photo of them and then their bank account balance would be published on a publicly visible power ranking board. So whether you had $2 million dollars or you had literally the my favorite is the guy who had zero who's sitting there with his thumbs up like, no. in last place. And everyone who participated was ranked on the screen that you could scroll through and view. The work was actually for sale. Periton sold it for $75,000. Did you know that? Went for seventy five. dollars It's cheap for Periton. <laughs> and my understanding is that the work, whoever purchased it, is able to continue the game. So wherever it's exhibiting next, Viewers will be able to go in and try to compete and try to win the mischief ATM game. So, Jerry, I'll kick this over to you. I'm imagining that you're a a massive fan of this work. Is that correct? Mm. Do I have you right? Yeah. Okay. So, I'm also imagining that petty criminals everywhere are also a (laughs) massive fan of this work. They're like, Hello, Mr. Number One on board. Yes, come over here. I am number one. What accent is that? I'm Russian. <laughs> show me uh, identification pin number to uh, show me that you, in fact, are number one. Okay, yes, yes. Come with me and 
Mr. Boris in my machina to go around the corner for me to give you access. I don't even know. I just, I like, isn't this the most obvious way to get robbed instantly is like, huh? Let me show you what's in my bank account. Like <laughs> people's photos are literally them next to the number. It's so dumb. Also, who's fluid with that much cash? Like, why isn't why don't you have that in government bonds? Yeah. Why don't you have your money working Maybe for you? T bills are paying T-bills. out four or five percent. Four or five percent. That's the best way to like. That's the safest place to have your money right now. So did you see that Diplo? DJ extraordinaire. Mm. He was at our Basel and he did it. And his bank account, he tweeted that I won. Yeah, he I would, won the bar pause or whatever yeah. he said for three he, million dollars. He would have three million dollars in his checking account. Also, let me tell you, the richest people in the Miami Beach Convention Center, which were definitely not there on the same day as Diplo, <laughs> um, would never, and I mean never, uh play this game because they don't want people to know how much money they have. Well, let me read you a quote from Daniel Greenberg, who's the co-founder of Mischief. ATM Leaderboard, which is the name of the artwork, Mm. is an extremely literal distillation of wealth-flaunting impulses. I'll say as much, Daniel. From its conception, (laughs) we had mentally earmarked this work for a location like Miami Basel. A place where there is a dense concentration of people renting Lamborghinis and wearing Rolexes. That's, again, Daniel Greenberg, co-founder of Mischief. Okay, but so so what's the point? Okay, so what's the point of that? To make people who are poor-er, who aspire to have wealth, feel bad that they're trying to show that they have some wealth and that they're cultured and they're inside of the convention center make those people feel bad because we know that the really rich people sure as hell don't put that much money in their checking account like who is this game meant to make feel bad i don't know but it reminds me of those dudes on tiktok that are like i just made three hundred thousand dollars a month drop shipping like come with me and figure it out the guys who just like flaunt and they show the screenshots of their shopify store people know what i'm talking about because that's a huge genre on tiktok where people are just flexing how much money they're making like scamming people with shit products okay wait i want to i want to reverse i want to say not to make those people feel bad because i don't know how those people feel but this this whole exercise is for other people to is made for other people to cast their judgment the artists are being judgmental in this situation. The dealer is kind of being judgmental. They're setting a trap. It's entrapment. And then all of the like viewers who are going to cast their gaze upon it, including myself, I'm totally you know, guilty of this, are going to look and judge mm-hmm. from one position or another. They're either going to judge like, ew, I can't believe that person did that, or ew, I can't believe they only have that much money in their account, or Ew, they have that much money in their account. There's like, you're you're trapped in this. That's why I don't like this. You know how I don't yeah. like emotional porn or I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't like this because no matter what, I'm forced to make a judgment on somebody based on an amount of money that they either do or don't have in their account. It's such a weird position you're forcing a viewer to take. It's funny that Periton were the guys behind the Catalan banana too. It's almost like this is an evolution of it. Would you agree with that? It's kind of 
right in the same wheelhouse. I mean, I would say it's a de evolution of it, <laughs> that's but a better way to put it's it. almost like I suddenly like the banana and remember yeah. what I said about the banana last time. I don't like the banana. All right, Jerry. So, what do you say? You ready to wrap up this week's episode? Let's go home. Let's go home. So, it's plug time. Obviously, the number one thing to look out for is this week's Jerry report, which will go into Art Balls of Miami. You're working diligently on it as we speak, right? Uh, yeah, actually, I am. What are you looking at me like <laughs> that for? <laughs> no, she's been she's been going hard on it, and it's it's going to be a good one. I can feel Head over it. to gagosian.com and sign up to be a premium or a VIP member if you're not already subscribed. And as always, uh, I know every podcast under the earth begs you to do this, so why would we be any different? Please rate us. And by rate us, I mean go in and give us five stars <laughs> <laughs> right now. Give us, give us the feedback, guys. We really no, appreciate it. No, just give us five stars. We don't <laughs> want feedback. Stars. We want five stars. All it's right. how people find us on Spotify or Apple. So please do that. Thank you. We love you. We love you guys. See you later. See you. On the... See you on the internet. <laughs> <laughs>